does good forever guys hit the follow subscribe button share this with someone who would benefit from it and help us grow as the more we grow the better the episodes we'll get thanks guys for helping us and let's get into the episode Working with the YDP, one of the challenges we have when we're trying to manage our training load week to week. We know what they're doing here in the building. You know, we've got GPS on them when they're going out on the pitch, etc. So we know what they're doing in the gym. But on the days off, we don't know what they're doing. It's one of the challenges we do find here. How do we sort of take that into account outside the building that they're doing? That sort of leads to, leads to an injury or anything like that. We just don't know what they're doing. And he's here. He is here. Cristiano entered the building. Welcome, wherever you are, to the Old Trafford Theatre. Yes, guys, welcome back to another episode of the Sculpted Podcast. Today, we have Kai on today, and it's an absolute honour for us to get him on. It's uh, going to be a really great insight today where we can delve into a mind of someone who's very experienced in the areas of, you know, strength and conditioning you know injury prevention all of these these valuable insights for our listeners today where they can take the game to the next level help them stay in the game for a bit longer you know whether it's the small details of strength training whether it's the small details of athleticism whether it's you know trying to work on not getting injured as much as possible because injury is a massive thing for young athletes and to stay at the top level you know you've got to stay you've got to stay playing the game you've got to stay doing what you need to do and injuries are a massive setback that can keep you out of the game so today we're we're really excited to get into this episode with kai and kai if you can give us a quicker introduction to yourself a bit of background you know what you do who you stand for and um just a bit of background for our listeners yeah so thanks for having me nicholas so yeah as you mentioned my name is kai currently a strength and conditioning coach at Everton football club working in the youth academy and recently just finished my master's degree in strength and conditioning. So sort of my second year in full-time football, uh, worked at Everton alongside my master's degree and then sort of came full-time here, working mainly with the YDP. So under 13 to under 16, doing all their gym work, you know, strength power work, um, and then also their on-pitch stuff. So whether that be the speed, um, agility type work. So yeah, first full year in football, enjoying it as much as I can. Um, been enjoyable so far excellent and out of curiosity how long has that taken you to actually finish all of your degrees uh five years all in all so four years for my undergrads and then a year for my master's degree so I've done my undergrad in science and football at john moore's university um and then i've done my master's in strength and condition at the same university so all in all five years wow long time that, that is a long time i think <laughs> So the the main at school, for example, what what subjects did you choose that were helping you get that degree? In high school, yeah. Um, so in high school, I did my A levels were in sports, psychology, and then history, which is a bit of a bit of a mad one. Um, but mainly, me, me sports and psychology were the ones that got me into me undergrad in, yeah, in sports science. Okay, so yeah. with the psychology one did do you find that there was much correlation between the uh the psychology of aspect and the you know aspect of strength and conditioning or was that kind of not too related? Uh, we didn't really do much psychology in our master's degree it was more based around like saying methodologies etc more um strength and conditioning work but 
it's something that I have used in my day-to-day job at the minute. You know, we have a psychologist here, so it's good to have chats with him about some of the stuff I, I sort of learned in the A-level, some of the stuff. He's obviously more knowledgeable than me in psychology, but yeah, it's good to have a little chat with us if I'm sound sad, and it helps my practitioner as well. Yeah, that's really cool. I actually, I really believe that going for anyone in whatever area of life, what they want to pursue, I think that doing, uh, or creating that level of awareness and knowledge of, psychology is actually quite an important aspect just to understand how how the brain works i think there's a lot of benefits for anyone to really understand you know how you can create patterns how you can create development uh from yourself and all these these different ways of i guess yeah understanding more about you i think that's a, an important thing for anyone to do yeah absolutely i think one one thing i talked from it as well is uh certain learning behaviors how people learn especially working with young athletes you know a lot of people learn in different ways. Someone might be visual, someone might be verbal. So, um, challenging my practice in a way to make sure everyone's learning in the best way they can. And um, that's one one thing I took away from my psychology um, A level definitely, and use it today still. Yeah, I think it'd definitely be interesting even to see with young kids just to understand how maybe it's a more raw perspective of you know seeing how even different techniques of speaking with kids. You know, maybe some kids. Yeah. I don't want to do what you say. Some kids that like a sponge, they're just absorbing everything you say. It's, it's, I think it's a great, it might help you in your career, you know, whether you work your way up through Everton or whether you go through another path um, in sports, you know, it's going to help you no matter what, just having that second kind of perspective on uh, human psychology, I think. But uh, with that, with that being said, I think if we go into the first, you know, kind of compartment of the, uh, the episode of, how do we get an injury? And what I want to mainly focus on for the first section of even this is what is an injury at the most raw level? And what? how do we get to that point in terms of is it a consequence of doing too much? Is it a consequence of doing too little in some areas? How, how do we get to that point of actually being injured? I think it can be both. So... If you're doing too much, you know, over time you're accumulating too much loads, start to become fatigued, um, and then you can sort of result in an injury. But also at the same time, if you're not doing enough and your body's not adapted to the demands of the sport, etc., um, and then you sort of come in and you get that spike in your acute loads, um, that can again cause an injury. So I think in both both circumstances, not doing enough and then doing too much can result in an injury. Um, it shows them fluctuations in training and loads, and they can be associated with an increased risk in injury. So if you're not doing much, and then you come back into the program, and all of a sudden your load spikes up by however much, um, that can cause an injury. And so I think in both what you're saying there, in both ways, can can have a negative impact on on performance and also injury. Yeah, I think the one thing that I kind of um have a question about is the so-and-so load management i think that's something that's quite relevant mainly i think the higher levels of uh professional football something that i have observed through being with different teams at different levels like for example at sydney fc my old team in australia this is arguably one of the biggest teams in the country and they take quite a lot of uh attention and focus onto player loads and things like this but then if you go to the team that i'm with currently in germany who is maybe the 60th best team in Germany, still professional. But yeah. if you look at them, they only do their um, 
Oh, the app's called XPS, but it's your RPE essentially. That's all you do. Okay. And even then, I don't actually think that the strength and conditioning coach tailors our training too much uh, and differs it too much by the RPE, which is interesting. I think that from, you know, club to club, it does vary. But how do you as a strength and conditioning coach actually tailor individuals' loads? Because I think that loads can change very, very much depending on position for myself as a goalkeeper. I find that my load will be lower uh, exertion-wise, but higher physically-wise. And what I mean by that, like when I'm throwing myself on the ground for 500 times in a day, when I do my second training session, maybe I could do a five-kilometer run, but if I was to go do that same session that I did in the morning again in the evening, it's not going to be fun for me because my body, I'm feeling it. It's like a boxer almost. Um, yeah. and, and how do you actually use loads to manage and how do you see loads dictating performance? So we sort of look at it with our academy players on a week-to-week basis. So at the end of every week, we will sort of get an overall view of the week, what, what each player has done, um, whether that be total distance, sprint distance, XLB cells. And then we'll just look to see if they pass that certain threshold for us at the minute, probably around anything over 30 kilometres, we would say, as a red flag. And say, OK, so he's, he's, he's passed 30 kilometres there and then also... With that, his high-intensity metrics have also went up, so his sprint distance, his axial cells If they're all high, we would sort of flag that up with the coach and say, OK, he's had a high week here. For whatever reason, he could have played in two games, he could have been called up to another age group. Uh, there's many reasons why the load might be high. And um, we'll flag that and just say, we need to sort of stabilise that load in the coming week, just so he's not at a consistent period of um, high loading week to week, especially around them players who are sort of growing so we don't want them growing a significant amount and then also having that much load going through them on a week to week if um, I sort of increase the risk of injury for us as practitioners so just flagging them up really week to week um, and ensuring that there's no sort of consistent high loading but also that there's no peaks and south so there's no big spike in loading and then it comes right back down to a low load and then it comes back up the week after into a big spike you know that's also a a sort of thing we're trying to look at to decrease injury risk in our, especially in our youth athletes. Yeah, okay. I think uh, one thing that for me, because I don't track my loads with my coaches and whatnot, I have Whoop. I'm sure you probably have heard of Whoop or... Yeah, yeah. And you can see your state of training and this is relating to terms of like a maintenance kind of level or overreaching level or even restorative level. And something that I can see quite consistently is that I'm in a state of overreaching, which is meaning that, okay, you know, I'm, I'm probably a little bit more susceptible to injuries than if I was in a lower state. But that's kind of relating to being at a level of my recovery is lower than my strain every single day. So what I kind of see that as is that my risk of injury is higher than others. But also I try and counteract that with other methods, which of course we'll speak about uh, in the following kind of topics. But what, what I really want to actually understand is you mentioned there about how you don't want your players to go from a very high spike to a very low spike back to a very high spike. Is this because yeah. that creates a degree of inconsistency which can alter the body's uh, ability to actually deal with 
the the levels of strain or overreaching why why is that an issue um so it's just in case of so if we're constantly going from a high low back to a low load the body might not be conditioned to do that so we can go from a period we want athletes at, at points in the season to sort of go into overreaching state so the body can adapt to the stimulus and then we can push that athlete on physically but if they're constantly going from high to low to high to low not really a chance to adapt to that sort of stimulus if that makes sense um, so at points in the season we will push our athletes or we will have a consistent few weeks of, of high volume so the body can adapt to that stimulus um, get stronger, get quicker etc and then they are less susceptible to injury because the body has adapted to them demands but if we're constantly going from a high load to a low load to a high load week to week I wouldn't say that the body's sort of getting that chance to adapt to that stimulus it's, it's, it's going up going high coming back down low and then it's going high again I would say that's sort of making us more susceptible to injury. We're not really recovering from that, if that makes sense. Yeah. Okay. So when you've got uh athlete for say, let's say they're at a constant state of overreaching, does that actually mean, if we were to compare one player to another, of course there's going to be individual differences, but let's say statistically speaking, just pure statistics, let's say these two players are doing very, very high loads of at an overreaching state, Statistically, are these players as likely as the other to be at a, in, a heightened chance of getting injured? Or is it, let's say, completely dependent on whether this person is more susceptible to the injury, whether it's they've adapted to being at a high strain or a high level uh, over time, and this person is more stagnant previously, and they may be uh, more susceptible to injuries? Is this is this something where it's you can kind of statistically... Uh, guess or estimate if someone is more susceptible to an injury in a state of overreaching or is it purely individual i would say it's individual so there's a lot of factors that go into it you know where is that player at in terms of their growth previous injury risk etc but if we're just looking at two athletes purely and they're both the same sort of athlete no previous injury risk both at the same sort of periods of growth and one athlete has had like a higher chronic workload so over time they are at a higher workload compared to the other athlete, I would say he is less susceptible to injury because his body's adapted to the stimulus. So if he does experience, uh, say, a spike in his acute loads, maybe a week where he's very high, but he's also been high the last four weeks, he's adapted to it. He's more, he's able to withstand that spike a bit more than the athlete who's probably been low the last few weeks. And then sort of has that spike in loading, who hasn't adapted to anything, he hasn't really had any stimulus to push him. So the person who's probably had the higher chronic workload is probably more resistant to injury than the player who's who's lower in that chronic workload. Yeah, okay, that, that's really interesting. That's actually an aspect that I've never even thought about so maybe why I haven't uh, really been injured much. I think that the adaption of being at an overreaching state, maybe it's more of a progressive thing where over time, you know, I've been able to step it up each week by week, month by month. Maybe that's a progressive overload where I've been able to you know progressively over overload my adapt uh, adaptive ability to dealing with higher strain uh, that would to me thinking about it right now it makes complete sense because I mean you know thinking about going to the gym you know you're always trying to overload and to improve each session each week you know um that that does make complete sense so I, I think that what I kind of want to highlight is the main way that we are susceptible to injuries is that primarily through a change of uh 
I, I guess it's not necessarily even a change. It's it's more of an inconsistent measurement of training loads. Is that kind of the main way that we would see an athlete get injured? Obviously, in respects to their individual circumstance at the time, whether they're growing, whether they're not eating enough, whether they're these external things. The, is this kind of the main way that we can see athletes getting injured? Yeah, so I'd say fluctuation in, in like you'd say, in a load, so rapid spikes and then rapid decreases, I'd say, is one of the main reasons we'll see an increased injury risk in players. So we see it all the time in our academy, so some players who uh, may have been on holiday for a couple of weeks and then they come back and they come right back into the programme in a full training week. Um, haven't done nothing for two weeks, they've been on holiday for two weeks and then they come back into a full-time programme. A lot of the time you will see them pick up injuries, whether that's just a minor muscle injury, a niggle, anything like that. Because they've done nothing for two weeks, two or three weeks, and they come back in and they're right back into a full-time programme. And just the body sort of deconditioned over them, then three weeks, and then they're expected to come in and, and hit the ground running straight away, really. So, yeah, I'd say that's one of the reasons. If you're not looking at any external factors, and we're just short, um, purely looking at staying and loads and fluctuations in staying and loads, I would say that's one of the main factors in um, injury risk yeah okay yeah that's again that that really kind of changes my perspective on on i guess even for myself as i mentioned i'll i think yeah the 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 main the main part that i think our listeners can take away is it's um keeping a consistent level rather than fluctuating that's that's an important thing and when i'm thinking about it now it's how my team even does it. I think that what really shocked me, I'm not too sure what the, the situation is in, in England, but in Germany, pretty much every single team in the match day plus one, we have training, which to me is something that I never understood. I think that maybe in some teams in England, like you have the the, the players who didn't play or the, the reserves and whatnot, they have a plus one session that makes complete sense. Yeah. But for our match day, our, our starters, they also train. Not much, but they also train. And for me, that's actually, I thought that was quite surprising because in Australia, we never did that. It's like you, every time, it's as soon as you finish a game, you know, you rest and then yeah. have the day off and then you're back in on the Monday and you're doing a match day plus one session and you're kind of increasing the load and then decreasing towards you, uh, towards game day. Um, But maybe, is do you think that maybe a reason why, and I don't even know the reason why we do it in Germany, but I, I believe that it's a consistent thing across all clubs is, the reason for a plus one session is that maybe because they want to uh obviously when you, you think of a training week you start lower you kind of peak and then you go tailor it down a little bit do you think that maybe the the reason for a plus one session could be to try and keep that level consistent so then going uh, because the the plus one session for our starters is not an intense session. It's it's a few. Yeah. Uh, it's it's basically just running, really, and it's not you know it's not baseline. It's not complete rest, but it's enough activity. It's I guess a form of active recovery. Do you think that might be in there to, you know, prevent that massive spike in a week? Yeah. So sometimes we will do that um, in here. So on a plus one, we'll get the lads in. Could be just a light jog around the pitch, um, some recovery methods, you know, stretching, foam rolling, pool work. Um, in terms of what you're saying about, so if it doesn't make that rapid spike, I'm not too sure on that. What I would say is I think it is good to get them in on a plus one though, because you don't know what 
players are going to do away from the building, if that makes sense. So it's good enough. So at least you know, as a practitioner, okay, we've got them in the building. We're sort of running their recovery session. We're sort of running what they're doing on that day. She never know what players could do. They could go out and play, have a game of footy with the mates after the game, day before after the game. So not really recovering in that way, are they? So in terms of getting them in the building, at least you know yourself, okay, they're doing this for the recovery. I've got them on the bikes. I've got them a light jog, a light stretch, whatever that may be. Um, so that could be one of the reasons as to as to why in Germany they do that. At least they know themselves as a practitioner what them players are doing on a plus one rather than sending them home and saying, look after your own recovery and you don't really know what players would do. So. Yeah. Yeah, that actually does make a lot of sense speaking about it now. <laughs> yeah. Uh, for me, it was quite quite a shock honestly like when we had uh i'm i moved to a club in the winter transfer window and i, I was with the so i'm with the first team and yeah. i i thought that yeah you know professionals you know just take the day off as soon as as soon as you can uh, after a match but yeah it definitely um puts it in into perspective for me i mean for me because i do try to take accountability if you know everything i can it was a no-brainer for me to do my own recovery stuff on a plus one um, or rest on a plus one and do that the normal way. But for people who maybe, you know, need to be in a tailored environment where they need to have an external source of accountability like that, I think, yeah, obviously it's always going to be individualized. And I think that definitely is um, a good way to keep it consistent for all players either. Yeah, so especially our youth athletes. So working with the YDP, one of the challenges we have when we're trying to manage our training loads week to week we know what they're doing here in the building, so we know what they're doing out on the pitch. You know, we've got GPS on them when they're going out on the pitch, etc. We know what they're doing in the gym, but on the days off, we don't know what they're doing. We don't know if they're going to have another 90-minute game of football with the school team or they're going to play football with the mates. So it's it's one of the challenges we do find here. You know, we, how do we sort of take that into account? You know, we haven't got a, a, a figure as to what they're doing out of here. We've got a figure as to what they're doing in here. We know what they're doing in here. We've got a, we've got a value for that, but it could be something outside of the um, outside the building that they're doing that sort of leads to that leads to an injury or anything like that. We just don't know what to do. It's one of the challenges we've we've experienced this year with players doing other things. You know, maybe doing private coaching, maybe getting a, a personal trainer or whatever it may be, going in the gym and doing their own thing away from here. Um, so that's one of the things I think probably could be the reason as to why you're coming in on a plus one. You know, you don't the coaches don't know what the players are doing on a plus one. Just, just so at least they know for peace of mind what to do. Yeah, yeah, yeah. As I said, it makes sense thinking about it now. Um, <laughs> yeah. Um, the the next kind of topic that we want to go into, so it's it's about injury prevention, and we kind of already spoke about a, uh, I wouldn't say a proactive method to prevent injuries, but it, it's kind of a active way of preventing injuries is the consistent level of uh, strain load that kind of terminology so that's that's a very active way to manage injury prevention but we kind of want to talk about a proactive way of injury prevention so i from making a personal anecdote for me right a very active way that i've established my injury prevention is having a, quite a consistent uh, load and that's i would say very down to my tracking ability on whoop because I, don't, I try and get a strain of at least 16 plus every single day for training and that's a very easy way for me to manage my load over time because you know whoop is a consistent metric that 
is measured through heart rate and things like this and duration. So for me, that's quite an easy thing to to measure. Maybe it's not easy for people who don't have these tracking capabilities, but for me, I do. Uh, but to go into a more proactive way of injury prevention, what what are the main injuries that athletes are susceptible and at a young age, uh, especially with a lot of our listeners being young and growing, what are the main susceptible injuries that footballers are accustomed to? Uh, the main one probably that comes to mind is hamstring injuries. They're probably the most prevalent in football, um, especially at first team level. But for youth athletes, we've had a few cases here recently, um, stress fractures. So as people are growing, you know, people are going into peak high velocity and things like that. On oh, that they're already experiencing, you know, stress fractures has, come, has become pretty prevalent here, whether that be lower back, um, pelvic stress responses, etc. Um, they're probably the main ones that we've seen in the academy this year and over the last couple of years and the ones that we've um, sort of been trying to manage more and more at the minute. Um, so yeah, youth athletes probably still hamstring. It's still probably a, um, one of the main ones. You know, it's one of the key muscle groups in, in football. Um, but stress fractures is definitely one I would say with the with athletes growing everyone's growing at different different rates so yeah is um the reason why we are susceptible as footballers to hamstring injuries because of the high amount of like high intensity sprints that we do because from what I have experienced myself when I whenever I work on my hamstrings whether I'm doing my own injury prevention work or if I'm doing with the strength and conditioning coach, if I am to do sprints that evening or that training session prior or the next day, I always find that my hamstrings hurt 10 times more because I did the strength work previously. And maybe that isn't allowing my hamstrings to recover, which is then almost counterintuitive to me doing those exercises in the first place. Is that is that why footballers are so susceptible to strengthening our hamstrings? So, yeah, so hamstrings, injuries, the main two sort of like mechanisms of the injury probably are coming from sprinting or that sort of stretching action. Or if you're stretching for the ball, you're striking the ball, etc. When the hamstrings are coming under high sense of demands, um, it's when they're more susceptible to injury. Um, so one of the things that we do do here, especially is hamstring strengthening is one of our main sort of philosophies in our gym work, you know, trying to strengthen them eccentrically, whether that be Nordics, things like that. Um, isometrically and um, just trying to target the hamstrings really and um, but yeah it's probably why you, you are feeling your hamstrings when you sprint uh, they're coming on the high eccentric forces when they are sort of in that sprinting action and that's why we are susceptible to injury at times especially as footballers yeah i know that when i was at sydney i think that one of the most common injuries we were a bit older so we were kind of past the typical stress fracture age but a lot of the players, we were getting meniscus tears and ACLs, and I actually had a meniscus tear myself. And I put that down to me actually doing, and this was coming out of lockdown. And during lockdown, I, I got addicted to doing 10 kilometer runs. And there was just something about it. I loved this one. I was doing it every second day. But I realized that that was just, it wasn't very smart. And <laughs> I continued to do this. And I found that with doing a lot of passing and kicking mixed with, the the range of motion of you know obviously with a 10 kilometer run that's a it's a very high load on all muscle joints and then being on i was running on roads 
So that's obviously going to do even more impact. Um, I found that through the academy, you know, Sydney FC's academy, and then through my own personal experiences, the meniscus tears and the ACL tears were actually quite common. What what is that reason for that being such a prevalent and also quite a quite a damaging injury for footballers? We don't really see. So we had a couple of meniscus here, a um, couple of ACL this year. Some of the main factors I would I would say myself is probably some of your poor proprioception, neuromuscular control, you know, the key like the mechanisms of an ACL um, when you land and things like that. Um if you've got poor control of that movement, poor control of your body weight, and um, that can lead to things like your ACLs, things like that. Um so some of the stuff we try and do in the gym, uh, especially with our younger athletes, even with our older athletes, PDP, things like that, is sort of trying to get them to handle their own body weight, whether that be jumping land and things like that landing on unstable surfaces getting them used to sort of the feel of controlling their own body weights maybe no load involved just pure body weight because when you're out on the pitch there's no load involved it's, it's all your body weight you've got to manipulate your own body you've got to sort of land on your own body control your own body in them sort of uh, circumstances and so by doing it in a controlled environment you know where you're you're sort of trying out these movements you're getting used to the feel of your body how you're landing your stability all around your knee hip ankle if you're sort of getting that in the gym work in your controlled environment you're better you're better off out on the pitch which it's not controlled as you know it's not a controlled environment and um, but if you're poor in the gym where it is a controlled environment handling your own body weights and then you go out onto the pitch and you can't handle your own body weight whether that's landing jumping etc and um, i think that's probably one of the main reasons as to why we see um things like your acls yeah okay i think that from what the acl injuries that i've seen it's typically people decelerating and i've actually i think that i remember one of our players we were doing a deceleration sprint exercise where like this exercise is purely for trying to experience the load as you said like in a controlled environment to prevent acls and i think i remember actually a player tearing the acl doing that which i guess is Probably in a true. It's an app. It's like sometimes you just like you can hold your hands up as you're trying to trying to do things to sort of mitigate that risk. It can happen. It's football's unpredictable at times, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, definitely. <laughs> and I, I think maybe uh, aspect of that was probably our pitch at the time was shocking. So yeah, it's an external factor of you know the deceleration being affected. But yeah, um. With the, those kind of points, so the next injury that we haven't addressed is the, the stress fractures. Now, I've had two stress fractures myself. A lot of my friends have had stress fractures in their L5. Another close friend of mine uh, at the time, he actually had two stress fractures in his shin. I th no, in his foot, sorry, in his foot. And that one was a very weird one. But that one was, so obviously with a stress fracture, it's typically because, you know, with growing, um... It can mean, you know, your 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 muscles are growing at different different rates. Maybe your strength isn't growing at the at the necessary need for your your body's load. Therefore, let's say your calves aren't strong enough. So then, you know, the weights distributed to your to your quads and your thighs. Then your your legs aren't strong enough, and then it goes to your glutes. Maybe your glutes aren't strong enough. And the next thing it gets to is your back, and then you have all of this stress on your back on top of you still growing. And this is how the athletes can can get injured. Now, when you're growing, 
and at the same time you're playing football, it's very difficult to, let's say if you're going quite, quite fast, which in my case I was going quite fast, I think I grew maybe 30 centimetres in like a year or so. And for me to actually prevent that injury, I would have had to be either doing much less football work, I would imagine, or doing more strength work previously and during to have those uh, building blocks and barriers to prevent, you know, because let's say all of my body parts before it got to my back couldn't deal with that amount of stress. How do you build up that load whilst growing so fast? So me, twist stress tractor, right? It's not as much strength for me, but more like mobility. So as you're growing, as you know, probably if you're growing at a, at a, a very fast rate, your joints, so your hips, um, your back, knees, ankles are all stiffening up because you're growing at such a, a rate that your body's trying to cope with this new, new structure, essentially. So some of the things we do in our gym work, especially around 14, 15, you know, where these lads are experiencing high rates of growth is trying to focus on a lot of mobility work and mobilise the hips, mobilise the ankles, the knees, etc. Just so all them are mobile. So when they get out onto the pitch, they're able to move in a way which is sort of efficient. So as as they're moving out on the pitch, it's efficient. As they're moving in the gym, it's efficient. So not, not all the stress is going on the lower back, you know, the they're moving in an efficient way. Um, strength does come into it, absolutely, I agree. But I would say more mobility in them key areas, your hips, your hips especially, sorry. Um, as you know, probably you'd experience it yourself when you're growing. You probably start to stiffen up in them key areas and that can sort of lead to things like your stress fractures. And sometimes, listen, sometimes it's, you could do everything where you've, you've managed the loading well, you've done everything perfect, and just because they're growing, it can happen. Stress fractures can just happen naturally as a, as a result of you growing at a, at a quick rate. Um, there is things that you can put in place to sort of try and mitigate that risk, which we, we do do here. You know, we we measure our athletes every six weeks just to see where they're at in terms of the peak height velocity um, and sort of modify their programme based on that. You know, so if people are going into peak height velocity, you know, they're sort of on our, our, our list of sort of flag up and manage their loading on a week to week just because we know they're growing at, at a quick rate. And even then sometimes they can they can come out with a, a um, stress response or a stress fracture. It's just some sometimes you've got to hold your hands up and say, listen, you grow at a quick rate and it, it happens sometimes, you know. Um so yeah, I'd say probably mobility is probably the the key area I would say to focus on during during that period of peak growth because everything's growing at a quick rate, you know you see that adolescent awkwardness at times with people growing. You can't really move. But I think that's probably more your mobility more than your strength. Yeah, okay. Yeah, even thinking about the activities that I was doing at the time when I had the stretch fracture, it was mainly, it was actually a hip flexor and oh, I forgot the the upper group, but it was, um, you know, the exercise when you're on one knee and you have your leg fully extended out in front of you and you're going back and forth, and it's the hip flexus uh, stretch. I, I, I'm, I don't really remember what the, the right term was, but I, I remember that I was doing this this one stretch for around 20 minutes, about 10 minutes on each side. It was like two minutes on, 30 seconds rest, two minutes on again, and it was the most boring uh, time of my life just doing this stretch for so long. And I, I really found, though, that this actually 
made me realize how important stretching was, being flexible. Uh, and I mean, as as I said, with the goalkeeping aspects, it's something that maybe I'm a bit more accustomed to because of the the need of yeah. being flexible as a goalkeeper. Because you know you need to be flexible to save some balls. But uh, yeah, it kind of it was boring, but it definitely really built a a, a fundamental building a stone, I guess you could say, for even the approach that I have today with uh injury prevention alongside because in LA I have I hope I haven't stopped growing completely uh, I'm 18 so maybe I have. but I would like to grow a little bit more it would be helpful um but yeah I think that now as an older athlete I I've kind of shifted towards the the strength aspect a little bit more obviously so with the, yeah. the listeners who are listening now I think that it's it's important to address the the importance of the stretching and the, the the mobility because when you are growing so rapidly as as we mentioned with my own case growing so rapidly you don't you can't really have a strength program in there to counteract the you know statistically every month you're growing maybe two centimeters you don't really have a way to counteract that ability of uh strength so in that case yeah it, it must be the best way to counteract is is through is through mobility and stretching, right? I think definitely around that ages, I would say less focus on your strength and more focus on movement quality. So quality of movement in the gym, quality of movement out on the pitch. I would you'd obviously touch on your strength work at times, but I wouldn't say that's the main aspect that you'd say. And I think it would be definitely your quality of movements or your mobility work, um, quality of your squat patterns, things like that. Um and then that'll translate out on the pitch. You know, you'll, you'll be a better mover. You'll you move more efficiently out on the pitch then. And then you're more you're less likely to get injured. And then once you pass that sort of period of peak high velocity, you know, I would say then you could, you can start to shift your focus onto your strength and your power work um, a lot more than you would be during that period of peak height, definitely. Yeah, okay. Yeah, so that takes, takes us into kind of the uh, the final kind of thing that I want to address there, which is, the injury prevention in terms of let's say a more developed athlete in, in age where they have stopped probably growing the majority of their height i guess you could say and they're like for, for me for example i would as, as i said to you previously where my injury prevention i'd spend two gym sessions focusing on injury prevention from doing my nordics where i know that i need to build up hamstring strength to doing my reverse Nordics, which is more of a mobility exercise. And uh, there's a degree of strength needed for reverse Nordic, but I'd say that it's not nearly as much strength needed as a normal Nordic. Um, but yeah, I think that what are, what are the main, the main areas that we can work on as a older athlete in terms of injury prevention? Definitely so for me as being a strength and conditioning coach, all your strength work in them key areas, um, your hamstrings, quads, glutes, all of them, um, strengthening them, bulletproofing them in the gym. So when you're out on the pitch, you're able to withstand the forces that you're going to produce out on the pitch. You know, if you can't, if you can't do a full Nordic or you can't do a Nordic in the gym, and then you're expected to go out on the pitch and sprint maximally. You know your your hamstrings aren't aren't robust enough to sort of cope with them forces. 
and that's what can lead to injury. So definitely gym work, I would say, being a strength and conditioning coach is probably the main thing that I would I would say for an athlete to do, or your strength work, or your, your movement work, not just strength, it's, again, it's still your movement quality. Um, you could have all the strength in the world, and if, you, if you're not an efficient mover, that can also lead to um, to injury. Um, and then when we're going on to our, when we were speaking about ACL previously, you know, all your stability work, all your random work, um, random mechanics in the gym, you know, doing all them in a controlled environment in the gym, getting better at that, getting better stability around your hip, your knee, your ankle within the gym, saves you better on the pitch when it's not controlled, you know, you're having to land in all different different ranges of motion, different different, uh, different planes, etc. Um, so for me, being an SNC coach, they're probably the main things that I focus on with, with our players. Um, and then there's all your other things, you know, like you're stretching your mobility, making sure you're doing everything properly on the pitch and your warm-ups, etc. Making sure you're all ready for the session ahead. But as a sort of pre pre-training sort of thing, not just out on the pitch, sort of in the gym, I would say. Definitely your strength work in all them key areas, your key muscle groups, um, and then quality of movements, making sure you're an efficient mover, making sure, yeah, making sure you're, you're a proper athlete, really. Making sure you're athletic enough and developed enough to withstand the demands of the sport. And you can do that both on the pitch and both in the gym. Yeah, okay. I um, For me, being in Australia and, and even just hearing your personal anecdotes from the, the high level that you're at in uh, in Everton, it kind of makes me realise how the the difference of attention and expertise and education for some of the some of the players at Everton to compared to the players in Australia, you know, as I said with CBFC being one of the better teams in Australia and thinking about how uh, I mean all credit to our strength and conditioning guy. He's a great guy and he was um very helpful, but it was a one man team and he had to deal with yeah. six players. And I think that's such a difficult job. You can't really tailor the needs to 60 different players and he, he did he did his uh he, he worked his way around it you know putting people into different groups according to their different uh test results and things like this but it makes it very difficult for uh players who aren't at the high level of uh, premier league club to access these these people like you who are so educated in these areas and even just for, for me myself thinking about my own strength and conditioning plan i am only self-educated, I'd say, in this area. Obviously, I have some guidance from my SNC, but my SNC and my current club with, at Bayreuth, which is the third division team in Germany, this unfortunately we can't hire him as a full-time strength and conditioning coach, so we only see him once a week, and he's there for all of our warm-ups. But as the goalkeepers, we we go warm up ourselves, so we, I only see him yeah. once a week in the gym, and for me, that's not easy it's definitely not easy for him as well because if we want to work together you know there's no obviously there's a relationship there but there's no back and forth too much it's 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 more of a weekly thing and what i want to get with this is for an athlete who's not at that top level who's not at a premier league club who's not in a professional environment how do they start educating themselves on the necessary areas of which they need to work on because i think that for me the areas that i've done the most research on in strength and conditioning comes from the wrong source. It's all about like the bodybuilding people or people who are just normal day-to-day gym goers. Like I'm, I've, I've realized in the past few weeks even, I am basically training myself to become like a bodybuilder. And <laughs> I'm not actually showing that I'm looking like a bodybuilder or anything because I think um, 
the amount of strength that I have, it definitely doesn't look like I would be that strong for my physique, which is probably due to the hyper the hypertrophy level that I have, where it's like I also do a lot of um, mobility and stretching, so that probably kind of decreases the um, and then also a lot of like running and things like this. This probably doesn't give me the optimal the optimal amount to see the maximus the maximal results from, um, which as a footballer I don't I don't want to be a bodybuilder, you know, but for yeah. someone who can only access really the the strength and conditioning side of bodybuilding how do, how do we actually start to educate ourselves other than listening to this podcast how do we start to educate ourselves on the necessary aspects of strength and conditioning for footballers there's plenty of research out there um so if you're looking at sort of just injury prevention alone there's plenty of research to say okay what's the main prerequisites or uh, causes of hands, hamstring injury risk and as we know as footballers they're probably your key muscle groups your hamstring and glutes so if you just do a simple search on google have a little look at the research and you say okay so essential hamstring strength is probably one of the key key areas of um, injury risk so lower levels of eccentric strength uh, results in an increased risk of injury in your hamstring and then just go from there really there's plenty of um, resources on instagram on linkedin as you know yourself there's there's a lot of different things on LinkedIn, different SEC coaches working in football, um, putting all sorts of um, ideas and things on LinkedIn. Um, I'm probably not as good on LinkedIn at the minute, to be fair, but something I need to get better at. Um, but there's, there's loads of resources out there if you have a look. And if you're interested in the research yourself, have a look at the research, read the research, ask yourself what does that mean, what does that mean in terms of my own injury prevention programming, you know, what are the causes of injury, how do I sort of counteract them within my own gym program and then go from there, really? Yeah, I think that a really good point that you mentioned there was the LinkedIn part because, I mean, from thinking about the current people who I have around me, fortunately, and this is probably due to my own doing, the people who I am with and speak to the most are through LinkedIn. So yeah, my, my environment's a little bit tailored to myself, but... Outside of that, when I'm thinking of people from school and things like this, when I was back in Australia, not one person even knew what LinkedIn was. But I think it's such a great, great tool for anyone actually trying to educate themselves in the right areas because so many professionals in, in all areas of life, business, sports, and things like that are on LinkedIn and they're actually sharing this information to other people, which is such yeah, a great tool. Yeah, I see a lot of uh, great content on LinkedIn where it's, people in uh I, I see a lot of work with one one guy in belgium actually with uh ghent i believe and some of the stuff there is it's amazing and it's all there for you he's got a great book as well and there's there's a lot of information out there for people to actually uh educate themselves on which as i said even thinking about it before i didn't even realize how great of a, a source linkedin can be for such great information uh, and I think that for our listeners right now, just create a LinkedIn account, you know, go connect with all the strength and conditioning coaches, connect with some coaches whilst you're there, you know, yeah. grow, grow your network because it's, it's such an important tool. And as, as I discussed with you guys before we started the episode, I mean, for me, LinkedIn's been able to get me to yourself. It's been able to get me to teams in Europe. I think that it's such a great tool for players to start taking accountability, start educating, start growing your network. And I think that. Um, yeah, definitely. That's a great way to start educating, uh, the areas of which you can start 
to work on. And then also, as you mentioned, with incorporating it into the gym session, the the three injuries that we mentioned before, so the hamstring, uh, the ACL, and the uh, stress fractures. So if we were to think of that, if I was to start incorporating that into my own gym regime, whether it's uh, completely individual or it's with my team, then I could start to figure out what exercises I need to adapt and start doing. Now, what I want to ask you specifically, and this is actually even a very personal uh, question, because as I started to think about, is the strength and conditioning plan that I'm doing the right one? I was thinking, and I was comparing to my teammates who do absolutely nothing in the gym, but in the preseason they do a lot. Um, maybe they do a bit of work. That's probably a discredit to them. But they don't do nearly as much as I do in the gym when I go every day. I go to training before anyone else gets there and I do my own gym exercises. How often should we actually be doing strength work as footballers? So, like you're saying there, you've got to give your chance, your body a chance to adapt to the stimulus. So going every day and doing max strength work probably isn't the best idea. Um, here at Everton, we probably do it. So we're at 21s each week. We probably do some work four, four uh, gym sessions a week. But then again, that'll be, could be a lower upper split. So we're not smashing lowers every day. You know, we're giving our body a chance to adapt to the stimulus that we just um, put on it, the stresses we just put on it within the gym session. So I love the attitude of you wanting to be in the gym all the time. You want to sort of get better, but you've also got to give yourself a chance to, to uh, adapt to that sort of stimulus that you just put on yourself in the gym. Um, so yeah, if that makes sense. Yeah. Okay. It is interesting because, so what I do for myself is I do two strength days where I'm focusing on higher weight, lower reps, and then I do an explosive day of upper and then lower. So the, it's a two day. So Monday, Tuesday and my strength days, uppers and lowers, um, Monday. So uppers, no, sorry. Lowers Monday, lowest Tuesday. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And then um, <laughs> on Thursday, I do after explosive and then lowers explosive uh, on the Friday. And then on the Wednesday and the Saturday, that's when I do my injury prevention work. So what I want to ask with that is, so, so with my explosive as well, sorry, it's a lower weight with low reps as well. But I'm just trying to do as many explosive fast movements yeah exactly as yeah. a goalkeeper that's probably more important than other positions because you know you want to be training um fast movements as a goalkeeper um yeah with that what are the typical durations of your strength can strength and conditioning work that you do at everton like is that is that an hour is that 45 minutes is it half an hour like what's the typical duration scheduling wise so especially with our younger ages we we only get two 30 to 40 minute gym slots so we do our gym before training it's just because of scheduling you know kids coming from school coming straight into the program we we don't have time to have a full hour or hour 20 with them really but it's enough so especially at the younger ages we we don't really focus on max strength work you know high high weights um low reps we sort of focus on speed and movements and quality of movement so it'll be low lowered but we're doing everything with maximal intense you know so the movements are quick trying to get our athletes to be more explosive um, to translate that out onto the pitch really 
Um, even sort of PDP now at the minute. Max strength work really isn't probably one of our main aims. It's probably lower loads, but at maximum intent with everything we're doing. So the movements are quick, so we can translate them out onto the pitch. You know, we want our players to be quicker, um, more agile, things like that. And that's that's what we're trying to get with our gym work at the minute. But yeah, two thirty minutes for our for our younger age groups at the minute, just because of scheduling. And then with our older ones, so eighteens and twenty ones, we get a bit more time with them. So they'll probably do four sessions a week. Like I'm roughly between between forty five minutes to an hour. Really, that that usually be just because they're in the building full time at the minute. We we get a lot more time with our with our PDP age groups. Okay, yeah, interesting. So with your um PDP age groups, and then you've got your senior age groups. What's the recovery methods of which they utilize the most? So you mentioned that. I uh, did you mention you've got a pool right? That yeah. Play- that's that's amazing. Gosh, what I do for me, Paul. So yeah, the the main uh, recovery methods that you guys use. Do you do after training? Like I know that in Germany, uh, we don't like do warm downs. Like we also barely warm up, which for me was like really yeah. surprising. Um, in Australia, like even though in Australia it's more unprofessional, for some reason we were like very. I think that one thing about Australia actually is that. Footballers in Australia are athletes who can kick a ball, where in Europe, they're also athletes can, who can kick a ball, but they're, they're people who can kick a ball turned into athletes, if that makes sense. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. So, yeah, in Australia, we do we do the warm-ups and warm-downs pretty well, but how do you guys do it in terms of, uh, like, your recovery, your warm-ups, your warms-down? How much tension do you guys put into that aspect? We don't really do cool-downs. To be fair, we we don't do them ourselves here at Everton. Um, our warm ups are sort so they're not they are warm ups in a way. So we'll sort of have a jog, have a stretch, you know, our raise, mobilize, activate sort of thing. But then also they form sort of part of our athletic development. So we'll have a certain theme that we'll do on the pitch with our warm ups, depending on what the session looks like. So if our session is bigger spaces, you know, it could be some eleven v eleven work or just a bigger possession with bigger spaces, then we'll focus on our speed work. So that'll typically happen on like a match day minus four maybe so whether it's a match day minus four we'll do some speed work within our warm-ups and that sort of again forms part of our injury prevention work so each week we try and get our athletes to hit at least over 90 percent of their max speeds you know to sort of condition the hamstrings again like we were mentioning before um so our warm-ups our warm-ups in a way you know we are getting them ready for the session but also we take the time in our warm-ups to sort of develop our athletes in other movements, that could be your accelerations, your decelerations, your, your max velocity work, um, your agility work, things like that. And then recovery methods. So for our YDP age groups, they're usually, they're usually off the day after the game, and all we were saying that, but just scheduling-wise. So our under-15s will play on a Tuesday. They're always off on a Wednesday anyway, just scheduling-wise. Um, but sort of like the nutritional strategies, we get into them, we try and get them get them food after the game, whether that be um, like a grab bag, like a chicken bath or something like that, you know, so we know that they're getting some some sort of protein in them post-game. But with our PDP, it's probably a more tailored, um, a more structured recovery session after the game. So that'll be, typically it'll be maybe like 20 minutes on the bike, you know, getting some blood flow back into the legs, um, loosening them off, um, in the pool for some mobility or in the gym for some mobility work, some foam roll and stretch and whatever that may be. 
um, and then in the pool, just just as a little um, little cool down essentially after the game. They won't they won't ever really go out onto the grass. Match day match day plus one. Sorry, similar with our under eighteen, it'll be sort of a similar structure. Um, so all them all the typical recovery modalities, you know, your your foam rolling, your stretching, things like that. Um, yeah, that's what we usually do. Yeah, it's brilliant. I, I mean, it's a massive credit to you and your work at Everton. I think even just hearing like the amount of detail that you guys put into the the players and making sure that everything's monitored. I mean, as I said, what I do for some of that is it it's a different level. And I think even for our listeners, I think we're lucky. We're lucky just because of sort of resources that we have here. You know, we got GPS for all our players from thirteen upwards. So. We are very lucky with the resources we've got. We're, we are able to sort of monitor a lot of different things across the age groups. I know a lot of clubs aren't, aren't as lucky to have that sort of resources. So, Yeah, and that's what you get at the top level. I mean, obviously, there's going to be hundreds of clubs who don't have the the amount of resources that you guys have, but I think that's very... It's, it's inspiring for our, our listeners to even hear, you know, that you can actually get to that level of professionalism where... You know everything around you is nurtured to help you get the most out of your your situation, which completely aligns with the message that's sculpted. Even it's it's you're trying to get the the best out of yourself every single day. And when you've got people and like-minded individuals who are there to help sculpt yourself and become a better version of yourself, I know obviously a massive part of improving is is outsourcing to to people who have more knowledge in in areas than you do. Which is why obviously Everton have you there because you know if the owner of Everton was to come and run every training session of you know, even even the training sessions with the head coach, you know, they, they just can't do it. So, you know, outsourcing it to people who are much uh, more knowledgeable, it's, it's it's amazing to see. And um, that, that kind of brings me into the, the last question we've got for you, Kai, as I'm aware of the time now. Um, so what are three ways that you sculpt yourself on a daily basis or ways that you even get your players to sculpt themselves on a daily basis? Um, so for our players... Maybe not sort of a method, but one of the messages we do send through them is sort of maximise your time in the building. So, you know, when they are here, maximise every opportunity you've got, every opportunity, every every session we put on is a chance for you to grow, to get better. Um, I know a lot of people, just, just because they're young, they're just kids, they, they think they've got all the time in the world here. And, and realistically, you get to under 16, you're getting offered scholarships. It, it comes so quick for them. And it's just sort of reiterating that point. Every opportunity you've got in the building, just make the most of it. Um, for that player, just make the most of it, every, everything that we're putting on for you. You know, we're doing it to try and help you, to try and improve you as a player, you know, so make the most of it. We can't push you all the time. It's sort of got to be self-led at times. You've got you've got to take responsibility for your own development at times, you know what I mean? Um, and then for myself, it's just probably just constant reflection. I try and reflect on the day, sort of every, at the end of every day, you know, what sessions have I run today? How how did they go? What went well? What what didn't go so well in them sessions? And then try and manipulate the next day based on them. So constant reflection really is probably the main thing that I do for myself personally. I'm sort of on. I'm not sure if you've heard of it, but the BCS pathway. It's it's like a sports science accreditation process that I'm currently on at the minute, and a lot of that is sort of reflecting on your practice, reflecting on what you're doing each day. Um. Again, what went well, what didn't go so well, what would you change if you were going to do it again? And I found that to be of a massive benefit. Something that I, I, I haven't always done, but something that at the minute I'm finding is helping my practice um, a lot, really. Okay. 
And so, so the main things that I kind of took from that was the, the um, responsibility and accountability that you want the players to have, which is where yeah. they are in a very uh, fortunate situation being at uh, such a great club like Everton and having the resources available. I think that, as you mentioned, you know, kids can take that for granted and the time is limited. And yeah, taking that uh, responsibility and accountability whilst they're in the environment, whilst they've got all of these facilities readily available to themselves, it's it's definitely an important part and something that maybe some people don't think about when they're looking uh, in externally. You know, if if we've got listeners now who are in England and they're thinking and they're, they're not at a Premier League team and they're not even at a you know Championship team or t- league below, you know, the the players who are thinking about some of these kids might be taking it for granted and and this is. Hopefully, you know, when they're in there, you want them to take extreme accountability and responsibility so that they can get the most out of it. And, you know, hopefully we've got some of them listening to the episode now so they can realize that, you know, we really want to maximize your your results and your ability at such a privileged opportunity at this level. You know, taking responsibility and accountability is, is, is a very important thing. And then also, I really liked your point on the reflection for yourself. I think that that's a very important thing because that creates self-awareness. That it also gives you an action plan to where you can help improve yourself and create awareness of where, as you said, things that do go well and things that maybe didn't go so well. That that's a It's a brilliant way to help sculpt yourself because one thing that we talk about sculpted is when you're in the pursuit of sculpting yourself, you're trying to get rid of as many things that hinder you as well. So whether it's that finding the things that don't work, and as we mentioned even at the beginning of the episode, that the, the degree of having that psychological background of understanding things that, you know, some people might react to this well. Some people might not react to this well. This is a, it's a great way to create that self-awareness to sculpt yourself uh, on a daily basis. And it, it's, a, it's a really great point. And yeah, I think that uh, Kyle, was, it was an absolute honor to have you on today. And we really appreciate you for having me. Yeah, it was honestly like, it's a great insight to the top level of such a, such a big club like Everton. And we, we really appreciate, you know, your time today and, and, and your knowledge. So yeah, thank you so much for putting the, the time together and yeah it was it was an excellent episode thank you so much oh, no, my pleasure thank you very much for having me i really appreciate it